And we're live. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to Unbashful. I'm your host, Nicholas Doucette. I want to thank you for stopping by for episode 46. We got a lot of fun things to talk about today. This is an audio-only podcast. I'm not in my in my normal uh, usual setup. I'm actually somewhere else currently, and I was able to bring my mic with me. I just didn't think the whole camera thing was, was going to work out too well. But that's okay. We're still here. You can listen to this on your commute to work or your normal jog, whatever whatever ways you normally listen to podcasts. And today we're going to be talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm going to give you my full in-depth review, uh, how I believe they handled the whole situation surrounding Chadwick Boseman, etc., etc. And then we're going to talk about Phase 4, since it is officially done with Black Panther being the final film and final project in general in the phase. And then I'm going to give you my rankings of both the movie side and the television side. So let's begin with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, My overall thoughts, my overall impressions was that this was an incredible film. Um, Out of all the Phase 4 films, I felt the most while watching this. And that's the key word, I felt the most. Spider-Man No Way Home, I definitely felt some emotions. Um, In general, I always feel something when I watch these Marvel films, but the difference with Wakanda Forever was that when I left the theater, I was still feeling those emotions, and they lingered on me for a a period of time, whereas No Way Home, it happened, I had a big spike in serotonin, but it quickly dropped once I left the theater, and my life continued as normal, and it always does continue as normal, but I, I, I wasn't thinking about the film afterwards. We got what we all wanted. We got Andrew. We got Toby. We got that ultimate, you know, scenario that we all imagined seeing them on screen together. We got that. And then once we got that, that was it. It was fun. I'm I'm glad it happened. And I'm sure we're probably going to see them again. Uh, And, you know, if you look at other films, which we'll get into, like Thor, I didn't necessarily feel the the emotions that I hoped for. Um, I, I, I wanted to feel a little bit more sadness with a film like that, considering that they were dealing with Jane Foster and, and excuse me, I'm, I got like a burp that's lingering in my throat. You guys ever get that feeling when you're, you're drinking a, a carbonated beverage and you can feel, it's almost like you feel like a sneeze is coming and you just want it to happen. It's just not happening. <coughs> Okay, anyways, um, yeah, so not to get off topic here, we'll get back to Black Panther, but with Thor Love and Thunder, one of the reasons why that film kind of had me a little bit disappointed, not at first though, and I'm going to get into that afterwards, I felt that the film was all over the place in terms of the tone that it was aiming for, and and I felt that all, out of all the other Phase 4 films, it It lacked direction. And I understand that films, especially MCU films, have had comedy. They've had more drama. And they sprinkled these elements throughout their films. But there's always one strong direction that they're aiming towards. Whereas with Thor Love and Thunder, I felt like it was this this concoction of all these different philosophies and and things that they were trying to deal with. And I just, I don't think it translated as well as they'd hoped for, at least for myself. But we'll we'll address that. Um, let's let's talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. As I mentioned, I think I felt the most emotion 
And it made me think for a pretty significant amount of time, like for, for a few days after, I was really kind of thinking about the themes and, and, and everything that was addressed in the film. And that it, it had a very good impression, a very lasting impression on me. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I think it was a beautiful film to just look at. I think the camera work on behalf of Ryan Coogler and the whole team behind the camera, I think they did a magnificent job, especially with all the scenes, <clears throat> excuse me, involving Namor. Namor's introduction was such a badass scene in the film. You can tell that, that, that that's him up in the sky and he's just manhandling this, this helicopter like it's a, a paper airplane, you know, and he's just spinning it in a circle like it's like it's nothing <laughs> and I thought that was such a cool shot and everything from from all the cinematography of Talo Khan uh, to all the fight scenes in Wakanda I think it was just beautiful to look at and I can't wait to watch this film in 4k um, so very entertaining and, and, and that's if I had one worry going into this film unlike everybody else I was never really concerned with how they were going to handle Chadwick Boseman. I trusted Kevin Feige first and foremost, but second, I knew that Ryan Coogler was going to, to handle this with great sensitivity and great care. So that was, to me, that was never a problem. And that was never a worry going into this. Uh, unlike a lot of people and rightfully so I get it. Um, but for me, that just wasn't a concern going into it. What my only real concern going into this film was that was the action and was the spectacle going to be one of the things that was sacrificed in order to tell a emotional story? And I'm glad to say that that was not the case. I think they they balanced out both sides very, very well. And, and, and that's something I was, that's like I said, that was really my only concern heading into this film was how, was obviously I knew they were going to address everything with the Chala and everything with his loss and that was a, that was a given that was a necessary and that was also one of the things that I was looking forward to but I but at the same time I, I was worried like is that going to come at a significant cost of action scenes of spectacle and thankfully it wasn't so that's great uh, for me um and the third thing that I loved about this film was the story itself right and we we've we've heard officially we've heard through Ryan Coogler that the plan, no matter what, was to have Namor in the film. Uh, originally, the film was supposed to be another story surrounding tragedy, but it was, it was supposed to be surrounding the tragedy of a loss of time. Uh, and of course, that, there, that refers to Chadwick being snapped for five years. So no matter what, Wakanda forever was going to deal with that sort of theme of tragedy, of vulnerability, because in the original idea of the film, Wakanda was going to be vulnerable during that time of the five-year blip of T'Challa. And I imagine that with T'Challa being gone for those five years, that promise that he had of, you know, lending the Wakandan resources of Vibranium to the world, that promise wasn't fulfilled. And they addressed that still in Wakanda Forever, but they had to do it in a sort of different way. So, yeah, I guess this is a good opportunity to transition to the elephant in the room to the whole Chadwick Boseman uh, loss and, and how they were going to handle that. But overall, I, I think they did a great job with the story. And out of all the films in phase four, I think this film had a, had truly had the best story out of all of them. Right. And 
yes, Spider-Man No Way Home. You have to recognize that with Spider-Man No Way Home, you have to give it its flowers. Aside from the, you know, the obvious things with Toby and Andrew, I actually think that film had a very compelling story and had a very compelling arc. They essentially told Tom Holland's origin story in a lateral way, right? They didn't tell his origin in Homecoming. They further addressed and progressed his origin as his franchise went on. And basically, this third film has, in a weird way, completed, not completed his arc, because I think there's more story to tell, but it's given him the foundation to his character and his place in the MCU. So I will say, a lot of people give Spider-Man No Way Home the the treatment as the film's only good because Toby and Andrew are in it. I don't think so. I think the film is still without them. I think it's still probably my favorite MCU film. Now, of course, I'm playing a hypothetical game in my head because I'm trying to think about what the film would be like without those two. Uh, But I personally believe it probably still would have been my favorite out of... uh, Did I say out of the MCU? I meant to say out of the Spider-Man franchise in the MCU. Sorry. I don't want (laughs) to go that far. But um, anyways... Where was I going with that? Yeah, so, but out of pure storytelling, I think Wakanda Forever has the most compelling and most interesting, thought-provoking story out of Phase 4. So that's 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 the, those are the three biggest takeaways for me. A, the story. Uh, B, uh, I'm just trying to kind of rewind here with my thoughts. Um, okay, so I talked about the story. I talked about the action. Yes, the entertainment factor. That was the biggest takeaway. And then I think that the the number one takeaway out of all was how I felt leaving this film. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why the MCU is so, so fucking awesome. <laughs> if I can, is like the best way I can put it because they have such a, they have such a successful way of telling different stories in the MCU. Like a lot of people accuse the MCU of being formulaic and being, you know, copy and paste. And I, I've always disagreed with that, especially in terms of the emotional tone. You have films that are more fun, that are more uh, engaging with the audience and, um, and a little bit more happy, basically. And then you have other films like Wakanda Forever that deal with a, maybe a, a bit more mature themes, not even just with the story, but even with societal references with race and things of that nature and I think it's important to have that balance and 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 have those different varieties to choose from that's why I don't feel like the MCU is formulaic in terms of how they tell their narratives that's why I like Wakanda forever I'm happy that in a weird way, I'm happy that I didn't walk out feeling happy if that makes any sense because I feel like in phase four especially with Thor love and thunder Maybe that film was one of those films that was supposed to make you feel happy. And I didn't, I kind of just felt like underwhelmed, if you will. But with Wakanda Forever, it it was a nice palate cleanser. I felt something a little bit darker, which from time to time, I think is necessary when you're watching all these different movies. So those are my three biggest takeaways. Now, as I mentioned, now we're going to address Chadwick Boseman. Um, So with Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa, You've heard it all before. You've heard probably every content creator say that the filmmakers were dealt a bad hand and blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to just recycle that. We we all know that at this point. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you for 20 minutes about how the filmmakers had to scramble. They had to write a new script. And like, we understand that. We get that. Um, I'm just going to simply address how they handled it in the film. 
like we understand the tragedy. We are, like it's 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 terrible, and it's it's also shocking that Chadwick Boseman had cancer for all these years while still filming these very physically demanding films. They're not just films, physically demanding films while still making other films on the side that a lot of people just didn't even know about, like Twenty One Bridges or Ma Rainey's uh, Rock Bottom Twenty or. or uh, uh, Defy blood. So like this guy was still working <laughs> while still having a terminal or I don't know if it was terminal. I mean, obviously he unfortunately passed away, but w- while still having a life threatening uh, illness that he had to deal with. So obviously that's very taxing. F- forget physically, emotionally, right? To have to go to work every day while still dealing with this. Um, so I-, I just said, I'm not going to go into that. And now I'm going into that. I'm kind of contradicting myself here, but yeah. So let's talk about how they handled it in the film, and I think they did a phenomenal job. They address it right out the gate. They did not waste any time. Immediately, were opened to Shuri in the lab, trying to scramble at the last minute, create the heart-shaped herb, and cure T'Challa. So clearly, they're addressing it right right away. Which I mean, I knew they were going to address it earlier in the film. It's not something that they're going to leave uh, ambiguous. But the fact that they did not shy away from just coming out right at the gate, getting not it's not even getting that over with. I I didn't feel that way. I felt that they they addressed it in a way that would make sense. And it, and it I like how it almost kind of um not 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 in a meta way, but they didn't like come up with some weird fictitious like. Oh, he died in in battle somewhere, and like they almost made it realistic, realistic. Excuse me, realistic as to how he unfortunately passed away in real life. So I like that they kind of did that. They didn't really create some weird scenario that he was fighting. Like I said, you know what I mean. So I I like that. I I appreciate that. Um, now they didn't say exactly what killed him. They didn't say they didn't say it was cancer. They didn't say it was this, that, the other. I don't really think they needed to. I think they I think they did a perfect job, as perfect as they could have done. Uh, and I'm I'm very very glad. And you know, like I said in many other podcasts, I never thought they were gonna do this, but I'm glad that they didn't do the whole kind of Paul Walker thing where they made a CGI kind of version of him. Thank God they didn't do that. I, I think it would. It would have totally undercut any of the emotion they were aiming to, to to have the audiences feel. So I'm glad they didn't do that, and I'm glad that they once again didn't try and show him in the uh, ancestral plane. Because a lot of people speculated that, oh, okay, well, we're, we maybe could see some kind of version of him in the in the ancestral plane. Um, I'm glad they didn't go that route. So overall, uh, I think they did a damn near magnificent job with how they handled it. It was emotional. I was choking up personally, especially when his casket flew up to the ship. Uh, that that right there was was almost a straw that broke the camel's back for me in terms of how I felt. Um, yeah, so overall, they did a great job handling that. Now let's address Namor. Personally, for me, um, I like Killmonger. And I, I'm not going to lie, I was actually surprised that we saw him in this film, in the Ancestral Plane. Uh, and for a moment, I thought, are they really going to make him the Black Panther? For for a second, I thought that that's, that's what they were leaning towards. I almost thought that Shiri, out of sheer panic and, and, and her being anxious and overwhelmed, I thought she was almost going to like resurrect him and just give him the mantle or something. But I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, but I, I liked his villain, or I liked his character. 
But I'm not gonna lie, I think Namor is a, is a better villain. And I think he's just just cooler. And I, that's a subjective thing to say. This is all subjective, obviously. But I actually, I love Namor. And we're obviously going to see Talo Kan again in the MCU. And we're going to see Namor again in the MCU. And unlike, uh, unlike um, I'm drawing a blank, unlike Killmonger, who was a clear psychotic human being who deserved to be incarcerated and should never see the light of day in society again, there, there was still a method to the madness. You could, you could still at least understand what his point of view was. He just went about it in a completely terrible way by killing a bunch of people. I actually think that Namor is not as psychotic and not as um, monstrous as Killmonger was because similar to... Black Panther and, and and having a leader of Wakanda, Namor is a leader of an entire nation in and of itself, Talokan, and he has to do what's best for for his people. He needs to do what's best to protect them, right? So while I'm not trying to say that he's a good guy, I, I definitely wouldn't say he's a hero. He still does kill people in this film. I think that his reasonings for me as an audience member are not as challenging for me to get behind. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not condoning him killing people, not at all. But I'm saying his um, ideology and, and, and his 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 code of ethics. I can at least it's not as challenging for me to understand them as it was trying to get behind them for Killmonger. So th- just from a moral perspective, now also from an action perspective, from a powers perspective, I actually think he, like I said, I think he was more entertaining, more exciting to watch. Uh, I loved the winged feet, especially how he maneuvered in the air. It, it, he's almost like darting when he's kind of dodging the the shots and the explosions and all the and all the aircraft sequences. Like I liked how he actually maneuvered in the air with the winged feet. It's almost it almost looked like he was jumping off invisible landing pads while flying. Um, so yeah, Namor, huge fan. I think Tenoch Huerta, the actor who played him, was incredible. I had never heard of him. Uh, before I did some research, he was in Narcos and some other things like that, but really not a mainstream actor, uh, which is not anything new. Marvel is very, Marvel's known for doing this. Kevin Feige has one of the best eyes for talents any producer has ever had. We always see him hire these directors. People are like, huh? Who the fuck is that? Same thing for the actors, right? A lot of people didn't know, myself included. I didn't even really know who Simu Liu was prior to Shang-Chi. And I think Simu excuse me, Simu Liu is now, uh, arguably a mainstream actor, holy crap, I think I have something stuck in my throat, (coughs) excuse me, um, yeah, Simu Liu is now damn near a mainstream Hollywood actor, we know that he's going to be in the Barbie movie, we know that he's, he's working on other projects outside of the MCU, so, um, and, and I almost think that that's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of a smarter, approach for Marvel to take. I mean, if we talk logistics and finances, I'm sure it's probably cheaper for them initially, at least when they begin the franchises, rather than just going out the gate and trying to get somebody like, you know, Robert De Niro or something. Um, But aside from that, I think in terms of the actor's career, like if you were to just hire, you know, as I mentioned, if you were to just hire like a mainstream actor, like it's almost going to be too much for a character because people are going to look more at the actor rather than the character. Whereas if you get 
an actor who's not necessarily as well known to general audiences, it, it, we're, we're going to look at that actor less as the actor playing the character and more as the character and then that's the actor playing the character if that makes any sense if you guys can kind of understand what i'm what i'm saying um uh but yeah so where was i going yeah so to Huerta, loved him can't wait to see him return um and, and and i loved the the separation and the uh, and their approach to an underwater civilization, because we all know the comparisons were going to be drawn to Atlantis from from the other side of the pond over at DC. And I think they did a great job of separating it. I liked how they kind of incorporated uh, Mesoamerican culture and sort of Aztec culture. I really really like that. Um, not that I'm like some historian and I know a lot of things about that from from my from my minimal knowledge. I I, I like. To see that, and, and I think it made for a good differentiation uh, between them and and Atlantis. And I also think that how how they explained how they have their powers made sense. And I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is how they explain how Namor got his name uh, when he killed the that 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 guy who was like torturing a bunch of people, and he called him I think the, a child without love or, or or something like that. And I think that meant in I, I, my, I, my memory's a little rough on this one, but I think that term meant like that name in Spanish, I think was Namor. I, I could be wrong. You'll correct me uh, down below in the comments if I am. I keep saying down below in the comments, but I also keep remembering that this is an audio only episode. So I don't even think that there is a comment section. Uh, unfortunately, maybe there is depending on what platform you listen to. But yeah, uh, I think, oh yeah, mid credit scene. Uh, let's talk about that. At first... Uh, it was a little jarring. I'm not gonna lie. I, I wasn't expecting them to, to, uh, to introduce the, the, excuse me, to introduce the fact that T'Challa and, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, um, had a child in the background, in, uh, private. But I, so when I, when I walked at the theater, I was a little mixed on that post credit scene. But as I thought about it more, it made more sense to me. And I think that for all the people that really want T'Challa to be recasted, I think this is Marvel's compromise to do to do that because they're not completely recasting T'Challa. But now T'Challa has a son who will obviously eventually take up that mantle. So in the interim. I, I'm not even going to say in the interim. I think for the foreseeable future, we will have Shuri playing Black Panther. And I didn't even address that. I think Shuri was great. Uh, and I think that her whole thing creating the heart-shaped earth, that scene in the lab was awesome. They panicked. I panicked as an audience member. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, is it? Did the heart-shaped herb really not work for her? And then very similar to T'Challa in the first film, kicking that mannequin, she did the same thing. Uh, and there almost seemed to be a little bit more power in that punch. <laughs> I'm not saying she's more powerful than T'Challa. I mean, who, who the fuck knows? But that was pretty cool. I liked her suit. I imagine she'll probably get in, you know, in classic Marvel fashion. I'm sure she'll probably get like three, four more as her time uh, as a Black Panther. But I think for the foreseeable future, we'll have Shuri play Black Panther. And obviously, we will get, you know, T'Challa 2.0, if you will. Whether that's, uh, you know, during Secret Wars, after Secret Wars, who knows. But they clearly put that in for a reason. Obviously, you know, it adds to the emotion. It adds to the legacy of T'Challa. But I think Marvel 
they know what they're doing. And I think they're clearly planning that early seed to have eventually another T'Challa. I say that in air quotes, uh, take over the Black Panther mantle. So I think, I know I'm kind of all over the place, usually am <laughs> when it comes to these uh, topics. Um, I think that's going to wrap up my thoughts. Now, very shortly, I'm going to give you where I think uh, um, where I think Black Panther Wakanda Forever sits amongst all the other MCU films. So let's transition to the, my phase four ranking. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to begin with the TV, or I'm going to begin with the movies, excuse me. Then I'm going to do the TV shows. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up the episode by talking about my overall thoughts retrospectively on phase four, I think what they had to do, what they did well, what they didn't do well, and where I see the MCU moving forward. Um, but yeah, so let me know how you feel about Wakanda forever. Uh, like I said, I'm not sure if there is a comment section in on these platforms, but you know, let me know in a previous video. Who knows? So I'm, I'm curious to see your thoughts as well. I think it's very fun to talk about this stuff with other people. So yeah, okay, let's get into the movies ranking. Take a quick sip of my Coke here. Um, all right, at the very bottom, number seven, and I want to be clear, there's not a single movie in here, in this phase, that I hated or that I really disliked. So just, you know, want to make that clear. But number seven is Black Widow. Um, Black Widow for me was a Marvel movie that I never really was looking forward to in the first place. I kind of just looked at it as what was the point. Um, they they should have made this film about three to four years ago. However, I understand that it in a way it does set up some subtle things for you know the Thunderbolts and uh, and some other characters. So with obviously Red Guardian and. Uh, uh, Yelena Belova's character, I, I can't even remember her name, and it sets up Valentina Allegra as the sort of, you know, showrunner of the Thunderbolts as it seems to to be, and actually, we there was quite a lot of Thunderbolts set up, more than I had even thought there would be, I mean, I didn't think there'd be any at all, but there was actually quite a few Thunderbolts set up with Black Panther Wakanda forever, and it almost seems like the Thunderbolts are going to maybe go up against... Wakanda, who who knows? Um, or, or I think that at least could be some kind of aspect about it with Vibranium. So we'll have to see. Um, because we did see the Valentina character in uh, Wakanda Forever, and I, I guess she was married to Everett Ross. So pretty interesting. You know, once again, Marvel planting the seeds. Uh, and and I, we, I I'm a sucker for stuff like that. So number seven, uh, interesting film. You know, I I think the first act was probably the most compelling. A little spy espionage sort of undercover film and then we finally got that payoff to Budapest although I think that that payoff to Budapest was not as satisfying as I hoped as I hoped for it to be and the help the whole Taskmaster thing as well wasn't a fan of that I liked Taskmaster in the first two acts of the film and once we got the reveal we got the, and it's not even because you know some people say they didn't like it because she, that it was an actress it was a girl that that's not it at all I just think the it doesn't matter either way I just don't like the way they told it from a story perspective I just think it it didn't really I don't know it didn't leave me feeling fulfilled um so yeah 
That's number seven. Number six is Thor, Love, and Thunder. And Thor, Love, and Thunder is probably the most interesting one for me because when I first watched it, I damn near loved it. I had a really good time, but it was one of these movies where afterwards, the more I thought about it, the less I liked it. And when I rewatched it, it kind of further solidified that feeling. And it's not even because, like, a lot of people are very impressionable and they'll watch content creators and they'll almost let those content creators form their opinions. Like, a lot of people can't even form their own opinions nowadays. And I watch content creators. I watch a lot of people. I watch John Campia. I watch Everything Always. I watch uh, Phase Zero is a new one I've been watching a lot. Um, and, and I love watching these guys and, and Den of Nerds. Den of Nerds has probably been my fav- one of my favorite Marvel content channels to watch recently. I think... Josh, the way he breaks down everything is not only entertaining, but it's funny as well. I think he's hilarious to listen to. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I like his style. So not that he'll ever see this. This is a, I mean, I'm a very tiny, I'm not even a fish. I'm a tadpole in a very vast, large pond of content creators. Like this is a saturated space. I know that I just do it cause I, I have fun doing this. Um, but yeah. So a little shout out to those guys, but especially Den of Nerds. I've been watching him a lot recently. I love watching his daily uh, stream. So yeah, um, where was I going with this? Yeah, so a lot of people just can't form their own opinions. And, and that wasn't the case for me. I, I make sure, especially around the time that a Marvel movie's coming out, I try not to watch much content surrounding it. Uh, I am fully capable of forming my own opinion, but... I, I still, you know, like to kind of sway away from 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 hearing other. It's more or less for when I make videos that if I agree with some of the things that they're saying, I'm not just gonna say the same thing as them. Um, but a lot of people, when it comes to Thor: Love and Thunder and other movies, that they'll just hear that oh, the movie was bad. Okay, well, I think it's bad too. That that's not how I feel. I actually disagreed with a lot of people at the beginning. In fact, I made a whole podcast talking about why I think fans uh, might be missing the point on this one. And then I sort of switched up a bit. And as time went on, I kind of realized that I actually, I don't know if I like this one as much as I did, which I've never really had with a lot of these Marvel movies. Usually, you know, the way I feel after watching them is, is, is typically how I feel generally. I haven't really swayed away from my opinion in regards to that, but with Thor Love and Thunder, like, like I said, I, I, I really enjoyed it. The, the first viewing, and the second viewing, I just, and even before that, leading up to it, once I thought about it more and I thought about the film in depth and what actually happened and what transpired, and I just thought, like, actually, I don't really know about that. So that's sort of how I feel. Um, so that's number six. Number five, and I think this one is probably going to be the most controversial one, is Shang-Chi. And I actually just rewatched it yesterday. Now... Okay, I, I'm going to say this, and this is no disrespect to the film. I like the film. I enjoyed it. But I'd say it's probably the most overrated film in Phase 4, just in my opinion. I've heard people say it's like top 3 MCU. You know, I like it. I think it's entertaining. And uh, I think the third act is probably the best part of the film. I, I it really, when I, the first time I watched it, the whole sequence with the dragon and and everything like that, that really caught me off guard. I didn't expect them to go that big, especially on an introductory film to what we will probably get as a three-film franchise as normal. Uh, So there are definitely things I like about it, but 
overall, I feel like the character didn't have enough depth, um, which, you know, I, I'm, I know that we'll probably explore that more. As I mentioned, this is just the, the first film and the first time we're seeing Shang-Chi, but he felt kind of one note. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I, I want to learn more about this character. So that isn't really the film's fault. Uh, and I'm not trying to say Simu Liu didn't do a good job. I think he's a great actor. And I think I'm, I'm really excited to see him more, especially with the other Avengers. I think he'll play off them very, very well. Uh, and, and, and I think he's a very charismatic actor. So nothing against the performance. I just, it, I think it actually comes out of more of the writing. I just think that the way they wrote the character for this film, beyond how we see him, we don't get enough layers for him. That's just how I feel. Uh, like, I don't want to sound like I hate the film. I, I really did like it. Um, but I just don't think it's as good as everybody else feels about it. And you know, that's perfectly fine. I, I, I've said this before, you know, we, we, we can all have our own opinions about movies. Um, you know, everybody says film is subjective. We, we hear that over and over again. And I think some people actually forget that. And it's true. Film is a subjective art. There is no, nothing objective about how someone feels about a movie. It doesn't matter who you are. And if you feel that way, then that's, I don't know, that, that that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, so everybody can feel the way that they can feel about a movie. I, I just personally don't enjoy it as much as most people do. Uh, so that's number five. Now... I said that that's the most controversial, but I actually think this next pick on my list is going to be the most controversial, and that is Eternals. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say that this is the worst thing Marvel has done in years. It's the worst thing in Phase 4, and I couldn't I couldn't feel different about it than... I couldn't feel as different about it than everybody else. I, I really... I damn near love this film. Uh, especially from the cinematography, how the film is shot. It's the least Marvel-looking movie Marvel has done. Uh, and, and and just, in, like I said, just in terms of the way the film looks, the direction, uh, and of, of course, Chloe Zhao directed this, who directed Nomadland, so Best Picture Contender. She won Best Director, so she is a complete auteur. She is a complete genius behind the camera, and I really hope that they bring her back because I heard that there, there was some discourse between her and some of the producers behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, which is normal in Hollywood. We hear about that all the time. Some of the greatest films of all time that had tons of different you know, things going on behind the scenes and, and, and arguments and disagreements and whatnot that almost kind of sometimes uh, feeds to the to the to the process of the filmmaking, not in a bad way. Obviously, there's terrible things we hear about with Harvey Weinstein and all that. And I'm very excited to watch that movie, she said, but I, I, I'm more or less referring to like people arguing it over. And, and when people argue about that kind of stuff behind set, they're all just working towards the same goal. Uh, and I, to, to, to a little degree, I've sort of experienced that, um, in my own little experience making my short film, there was a few times where, you know, I had some disagreements with my director, uh, but we were able to fight through it. We were able to figure it out. And I think that's just a testament to, uh, you know, our, our professionalism and me and him are cool now. So not to, you know, it's not, we were never not cool. We just had a few disagreements about the film and, 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 you know, our individual approaches. So yeah, I keep going off topic here, but anyway, so number four, Eternals. I think that Chloe Zhao and Kevin Feige did such a great job. This film had a lot of things to do. This could have gone terribly wrong. I mean, and to a lot of people it did, but for me, I think that the fact that they were introducing 
a team of like how many people you got in this like seven eight cast members main cast members of the eternals like that that that's a that's a pretty bold thing to do almost introduce another entire team in and of itself which i mean pretty they pretty much are an entire team they could go up against the avengers if they really wanted to they'd probably lose but they could and i think they they did it perfectly and i i think they gave an, all the characters enough screen time enough uh development we we saw a lot of layers with the characters i think the character that had the most um compelling arc to me i'd probably say was angelina jolie's character and uh and probably probably cersei uh or sorry um not not cersei uh icarus because Icarus is a is a character that is living and dying for the cause that he believes in. Now, sure, it's not necessarily the most ethically uh, correct thing to do. He he wants to sacrifice the Earth in pursuit of creating another celestial, but at the same time, that's why he was created. So he's devoted to his cause. Uh, but then eventually, we see that he has a change of heart. It takes a lot of convincing. Um, but then, as he has a change of heart, he also feels like he completely abandoned the mission. So. I don't know. Very interesting, and uh, and I think everything that happened with Angelina Jolie's character as well was very compelling. Overall, I think the whole cast itself did a great job. Um, now, obviously, some of them won't be returning. Gilgamesh died. Uh, who didn't somebody else pass away? I think it was just him. Yeah. Um, oh, and also Brian Tyree Henry. I loved his characters. I love, I love all of them, dude. Like, I'm just going to be honest. I, I really, really did like the Eternals more than most people. And I'm super excited for a sequel. And, uh, and yeah, so number four is Eternals. Number three, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Uh, pretty good film. You know, I, I actually would probably say it's better than the first and, uh, the only problem I had, and, and I've heard a lot of people say this, and I and I do agree that for a film called Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, there was not enough Multiverse of Madness. Like, if you really think about it, they only spent a significant amount of time in two other universes. They had that one scene where they were America Chavez and Doctor Strange were kind of skipping through other universes, but I mean, we're talking a matter of seconds. I think that was more or less just them teasing other universes that exist that might be explored more in the future. But I mean, as I said, as a film called Multiverse of Madness, they did not explore enough of the madness with the multiverse. Um, that was the only thing that really disappointed me. I think Sam Raimi's direction was a breath of fresh air. There was definitely some parallels, especially with the scenes in New York that looked like New York from the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Just the, the sort of the brownish, orangish kind of, you know, colorization, I think just kind of gave me a little bit of nostalgia because that's, that's how New York looked in his Spider-Man movies. So that was pretty cool. And I think we continue to see the arc of Dr. Strange. He's, he's less of an asshole in this movie. He's less arrogant. He's, we're starting, he's not totally there yet, but we're starting, he's almost getting the Tony Stark treatment. We're introduced to this very arrogant, uh, egotistical, cocky guy. And as time goes on, we're seeing him kind of become more and more selfless, caring about other people around him. And, and inevitably, we'll probably see him have some courageous act where he puts his life on the line for the sake of others. And I think we're, we're seeing that similar, different in certain areas, but I think similar, we're, we're getting a similar arc for Dr. Strange. And I'm, I'm excited to see 
that arc continue, which I mean, I think he's obviously going to get a third film. Um, that's another thing I, I also forgot to address. Will Wakanda forever get a third film? Uh, yes, I absolutely do. And I think once we get that third film, it probably will not be till after the multiverse saga. And I think at that point, that third film will have younger T'Challa grown up and taking the Black Panther mantle, not to get off track. So yeah, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness comes in at number three. Number two, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now at first, when I first watched Wakanda Forever, I... A part of me did think it was the best movie of Phase 4. And then, shortly after, I, I, I wanted to challenge this thought, and I rewatched Spider-Man No Way Home. And I, I sort of talked about this in the beginning of the episode, but I think the biggest thing for me that not enough people talk about is the first act. I actually think that first act of Spider-Man No Way Home is a, is a lot better than, than people make it out to be. I think... I like how they picked up as soon as, right where they left off with Far From Home. Like, I didn't know how they were going to kind of deal with that. I, I I figured there were, you know, some time was going to was gonna pass a little bit, maybe a couple months. But no, they just like, right away, like, he, if you really think about it, he did not get a break. Far From Home happened, he killed Mysterio, and then had to get right back into it. <laughs> and, and, and I think that there was a lot of almost tragedy and, 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 and sort of, emotion that Tom Holland had to deal with, or I guess Peter Parker had to deal with, you know, seeing that this collateral damage coming around him, his friends can't get into school. And now it's not necessarily his fault because we know that he did not kill Mysterio, but that's the public opinion right now. And pretty much everybody hates him. And yeah, and, 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 and sometimes I forget that Doctor Strange is even in that movie. Uh, I liked Doctor Strange in that film. Um, and I think it was a nice little tease of things that come with Multiverse of Madness. And I think they put the first teaser for Multiverse of Madness as the post credit scene for No Way Home. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what they did. And I like that. I think that's pretty cool because I'm not going to lie. The last like three like end credit scenes for these Marvel movies have kind of been uh, pointless. Like the Doctor Strange one, for example. I, I was like, you know, why did I just wait eight minutes to see uh, whatever his name is, the actor from all the other Sam Raimi movies uh, and he was just like the end or or it's over or whatever the the pizza guy I can't even remember but uh yeah so number two Black Panther Wakanda Forever I don't need to talk about the film any longer I just talked about it for 20 minutes uh yeah so that's number two number one obviously is Spider-Man No Way Home I just I didn't think there was really going to be another movie that was going to take that number one spot. You know, Wakanda Forever briefly challenged that, um, but I rewatched it recently, and uh, and I was very, I was quickly reminded that it, it, I think it's still the best film in Phase Four, and it, it might be the best MCU film for a little while. Uh, I'm sure there will probably be some films that could challenge that number one spot just for me personally i think guardians of the galaxy could be guardians of the galaxy volume 3 could be one of those films maybe ant-man could although i'm very excited for ant-man but i'm not i'm more excited for kang than i am ant-man if i'm just being completely honest with you uh i i don't i don't think i'm the only one that feels that way either so yeah um you know there's other films like what what what's coming out in phase five we have um i can't even remember 
We have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We have Ant-Man Quantumania. We have the Marvels. We have Thunderbolts. Uh, and then we have Blade. Although Blade's been delayed. So is it even going to be a part of Phase 5? I'm not, I'm not even... I'm not too sure. But uh, hopefully I'm not missing anything there. Um, yeah, so that's my list for the movies coming out in Phase 4. That's my ranking for the movies that came out in Phase 4. Now, let's talk about the TV shows, and let's rank those for Phase 4. And so, kicking off the list here for television shows, and number 8 is going to come in at Miss Marvel. Now, I've given my list before, uh, so for those of you that have watched the previous episodes, this won't really be anything new, although I'm going to talk about some of these shows in a little bit more depth and uh, I can't even remember what I put the list as last time, but some things might be a little bit different. So I'd still stick around and listen anyways. And if you haven't seen it, well, then this is your first time and then you're going to hear my list. So, yeah, the thing about Miss Marvel, and I've talked about this before, I sort of knew before even watching this that this was not falling in line with my personal interests. Uh, I didn't go in thinking it was going to be bad, I went in knowing that I'm already not interested in this kind of content and this kind of storytelling, this sort of, you know, slice of life, um, high school drama. You know, I'm a fan of coming of age stories, don't get me wrong, but not really this kind of stuff. This was more in line of like Nickelodeon style kind of you know, coming of age, which for me, I think I'm just getting older. It's just not really falling in line with my interests. Um, But I mean, to be quite frank, even when I was a kid, I never really found things like, you know, high school musical up my alley personally. Uh, But I will say the Miss Marvel character and the actress Iman Vellani, I think she was very, very good. And I'm excited to see her in the Marvels. I just think her her getting her own show for me, Never really was that interested, and I did watch it. Um, it was funny. I had COVID, and I didn't. It was the first Marvel show that I hadn't watched week by week. Um, I, I told myself I'm gonna wait till it comes out in all six episodes, and then I'll just find some time to binge it. And I had the perfect time to do that because I had COVID, <laughs> so I watched it all in one day. I mean, I say that if you really break it down. If you watch all six episodes, they're like a 40 minutes each, really a half hour if you cut out the credits. I mean, it really only took me about a, three hours. It's it's like watching a Scorsese film or something. Uh, yeah, and, and overall, I didn't really like the show. Um, I think the first episode is probably the best, which is kind of a trend with some of these Marvel shows. Start off strong, kind of dwindle as the season goes on, and then the narrative kind of gets a little bit messy and all over the place in the in the climax. Uh, and, and for me, that's just, I think, I think my biggest issue for me was, was I just, I didn't care really about these characters is like the best way I can put it. Um, I liked, like I said, I like Miss Marvel, but the supporting characters, not really a big fan of aside from the stuff with their family. I think that's why I really enjoyed the first episode. And I even didn't, I thought the second episode was, was decent as well. I, I like the family dynamic. I liked seeing her at home, um, and, and it was sort of educational for me. I got to learn about you know other cultures and, and things of that nature, so that was good for myself. But 
other than that, once they started to get into the whole thing with the clandestines and the there was even like a Ten Rings reference and then we got the whole things with the bangles, I think it was just so bloated and I think the visuals from a budgetary perspective, I think the, the visual effects looked a little bit off at times too and I don't know, I for me, just wasn't my cup of tea and I wasn't really interested going into it anyways, so that's just my opinion. I liked I liked the character of Miss Marvel, and I'm excited to see her in the MCU. And I think the actress gave a a, a great performance. And I, apparently, she's Canadian as well. So, shout out to Canada. Um, but yeah, and actually, the next superhero on this list is also Canadian. At number seven, we have She-Hulk. Now, the thing about She-Hulk is that, I mean. <sighs> Aside, I, I I really liked the show in the beginning. And I think out of all the Marvel shows, this show had such a promise, had probably the most promising start. And I feel it just took such a, it, it diverted so much from where the show started. And it's not even because that the Hulk was in it and, and you know we met, we met we we saw Emil Blonsky again. Like I I liked where we were in, introduced to Jen Walters. Um, I just think the writing and and I think it took such a weird turn. Like though from episodes like two to I'd say like eight, I just didn't find any of them interesting. And I think that the biggest problem for me was that I didn't I barely ever laughed. I. I and I got a pretty good sense of humor. I laugh at a lot of things. I just thought a lot of the jokes in here were just flat out corny and just, I don't know. <laughs> that's just my opinion. I, I just, I didn't really think this the, this show was that funny. And I think that's, I think it was intending to be funny. I think it's probably the most light hearted content that the MCU has produced out of everything. Uh, and I'm talking more lighthearted than like Ant-Man and, 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 and other things like that. This was meant to be a situational, a sitcom. It's supposed to be a sitcom. And I just don't think anything about that, anything about it w- w- was was funny enough for me. So yeah, but similar to Miss Marvel though, I really liked the character. I just think all the events and the things surrounding the character just did not live up to its potential for me. So I basically feel the same way about Miss Marvel as I did here. The only difference is that I actually was excited for this show because She-Hulk is is actually a, a pretty fun character in the comics. She, she breaks the fourth wall a lot and she is funny in the comics. So I I did have some excitement going into it and I was just pretty let down from everything on after episode two, the daredevil episode, that was good. Um, even the, even the finale, I I will say this about it. I I actually think that this show had a really good finale, actually one of the better finales out of all the Marvel shows. So I will give She-Hulk that. I think it ended on a high note. I just think 75% of the show for me just wasn't funny and wasn't interesting. Is, is, is the best way I can put it. Uh, number six, we got Hawkeye. And Hawkeye for me, I actually enjoyed it a lot over time. I revisited a couple episodes and it's it's a pretty grounded story. You know, the, the Earth, 
the the fate of humanity isn't on the line and I'm glad because it doesn't it doesn't always need to be and I think that's why they're doing these Disney plus shows I think there's an opportunity to tell grounded stories street level stories without having to you know spend 400 million dollars on a theatrical release which I'm obviously exaggerating a bit I don't even think there's ever been a movie that's cost 400 million dollars but you guys get my point um, and I just don't even think there'd be an audience for a Hawkeye movie. Well, I mean, that's not true. Aside from us, the diehard fans, I don't think there would be enough of an audience to grant this to, to be a movie. Um, so I think it, it's a grounded story. I, I like Clint Barton. I like how this, 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 this sort of series addressed the repercussions of his actions as Ronan during that five-year time gap during Endgame because he obviously made a lot of enemies um, so I like that they address that. Although my biggest complaint about the show is that this is less a show about Hawkeye and more a show about Kate Bishop. And I feel that they did not do a good job balancing the story and the attention of, okay, we have Kate Bishop, but at the end of the day, this is a Hawkeye show. I, I, I don't think that they did a good job of balancing those responsibilities. This show, to me, was was more of a Kate Bishop show than a Hawkeye show. And I don't want to sound like I'm coming off as, as if I don't like Kate Bishop. I do, and I'm a big Haley Steinfeld fan, and I'm not upset at her or upset at the character. I, I really like the characters. You're going to see a trend. I, I, I'm always going to say I like the characters, which because I do. I like all these characters. But the problem with Hawkeye is that it didn't balance that enough. It, it didn't do a good job of balancing that, telling audiences that, and reminding audiences that, to me at least, in my opinion, that this is a Hawkeye show, but we're introducing Kate Bishop. For me, Kate Bishop pretty much stole every scene that she was in. And I guess you could, I mean, that is kind of a compliment, but I'm referring more to the writing that I feel like the show was written to really just have Clint Barton be a almost parental guide to make sure Kate Bishop wouldn't fall on her face trying to fight crime. That's pretty much what this show felt like to me personally. If it didn't really feel like a like a story about Hawkeye. It almost seemed like Hawkeye was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was just trying to celebrate the holidays with his family and he found himself having to protect this girl. And I mean and yeah, it was nice to see that they they had they had great chemistry. I'll say that Jeremy Renner and, and, and Haley Steinfeld had great chemistry. They they got to know each other throughout the show, and and obviously she was a fan of Hawkeye, so it, it was better for her. But yeah, that's sort of how I feel. Uh, but I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say. I think I've heard a lot of people have this at the very bottom of their uh, Disney Plus TV show list. For me personally, it sits at number six, so it's definitely in the bottom tier, but it's not the worst one. And upon rewatch. Not rewatching the whole thing, but upon rewatching some of the episodes, I actually like it more than I used to. So, yeah, number five is Werewolf by Night. Uh, I didn't really know if I should put this in the TV show category or the film category, and I ended up deciding to put it in the TV show category just because it was uh, conceived for the small screen. I know, you know, whenever there's a new Marvel thing coming out. People will get to see it early in theaters, but I mean, in ter- in, to general audiences, this wasn't a, a theatrically released film, and it sits in the in the, in the in the 50, 52 minute mark. So, I mean, for some of these shows, that's like one episode of television. So, I I, I personally consider it a smaller screen 
produce content. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have it with the TV show uh, arc here. And there's a lot of things I liked about this. I'm a big fan of the a uh, very old film noir era with films like Casablanca, with films like um, Citizen Kane, even like the neo noir stuff with you know Taxi Driver. So I'm a big fan of that genre, and there was a lot of elements of that with the cinematography. Uh, it, it looked like they shot this in in almost like a dirty lens to make it give it that kind of that grungy feeling uh, that we've had in a lot of those other films that I, that I mentioned. And I think it was it was it was a very nice change of uh, content. We I mean we haven't we haven't seen anything like Werewolf by Night in the MCU, and really not a single mention of any other characters, aside from the very beginning, but that's more of like a narration, I guess, to kind of introduce audiences to what this is. So they are, they said in the very beginning of Werewolf by Night, that they explained that, you know, there's the Avengers and blah, blah, blah. I think that's more or less to, to get more casual audiences to understand that, like, this is a part of that universe, but you don't really hear about them much afterwards. And I think it's a pretty cool story. I, I don't think it's like the, the best thing in the world. Um... But I think the biggest thing that I'm a fan of is the technicality aspect. Like I said, how they shot it. I think Michael Giacchino did a fantastic job directing this. And for those of you who don't know who that is, he is a famous composer. He's composed probably a lot of movies that you love and you just may not even know it. The Batman, he composed The Batman, but he's never directed anything. So as someone who's making his directorial debut, I think he did a fantastic job. And I think he's definitely uh, deserving of, of maybe directing something else, maybe directing a movie, maybe directing a show. Um, and, and, and it's, it's pretty cool. You know, there's, I, I think the actual werewolf when the main character, Jack, when he, when we see him in werewolf form, I, I think I wanted to, I don't know. I, I, I they, they definitely went the practical route and, and he looked more real, but at the same time, I wasn't the biggest fan of the, the, the final look of how I, I get it resembles old werewolf films and stuff like that, which is obviously this whole little TV special is very much a homage to noir cinema and, you know, the vampire werewolf subgenre and stuff like that. So I, I get that, but yeah, a man thing was pretty cool as well. Um, overall, I liked it, didn't love it. So that's my number five. Number four, Moon Knight, probably the biggest disappointment out of all the Disney plus shows. And I say that it's number four, so clearly it's better than the previous five or four things I just talked about. The reason why I say it's the most disappointing is for me, I was probably the most excited for this Disney Plus show out of all of them. And I was very much let down for a couple of reasons. Before I get into the negatives, because I feel like I've been very negative about a lot of these shows. Let me get let me address some things that I liked about Moon Knight. Number one, Oscar Isaac. He's the best part of the show. I think he delivers a masterful performance, especially in that fourth episode when we sort of get the explanation of his tragedy, of his dissociative identity disorder, where it stemmed from, how everything has kind of gone in his life, and you know how the events that have left led him to where he is today. Uh, I think he delivered an amazing performance, probably one of the best performances all throughout Phase 4. Uh, the emotion, the range, it was absolutely incredible. So no no issues with Oscar Isaac, uh, so that's the first positive. The second positive is the suit and the look of Moon Knight. I thought Moon Knight looked like a badass. He looked so cool. Probably one of the best costumes that MCU has ever had for any character, so 
that's a positive for that. Um, and other than that, oh, Arthur Harrow, Ethan Hawke. Uh, once again, another fantastic actor. I thought Ethan Hawke's character, Arthur Harrow, was really, really cool. Hopefully, we'll see him again. He had the off-screen death when Jake Lockley took over. Took took over, and we all know how the MCU works. Characters that we think are dead always end up coming back. So maybe we'll see him come back. Uh, yeah, although in interviews I've watched of Ethan Hawke, it doesn't look like he. It doesn't really look like he, he's interested in doing that. Although I don't, I don't know the man. I don't know how he thinks. Maybe he will be returning. Who the fuck knows? But yeah. Um, now the negatives for me. I think the direction. Uh, I don't like where the show went. I I liked how it started very much. Like a lot of these Disney Plus shows, I think the first two episodes solid. Uh, and I think the finale was was just a mess, and I think it was rushed, and I think this this is definitely one of those shows that the six-episode format just did not work with it at all. Maybe if it had eight episodes, I think that finale could have been fleshed out a little bit better, uh, but it was just a, uh, it was just a mess, in, in my opinion. Um, and, and I talked about this with Miss Marvel. There was a couple of times with, with the visual effects looked a little bit off, particularly when... Uh, Oscar Isaac was rescued from 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 death in a, in the fifth episode, I think, or maybe even the finale, and we see him resuiting up as Moon Knight, and it just like it just didn't look real, look like all CGI. So I, I it might be I might be nitpicking, but these are just kind of the thoughts coming to my head, and uh, and my biggest complaint of this show was simply we did not get enough Moon Knight. You know what I mean? The show's called Moon Knight. And we probably, in total, out of the entire six-episode run, we probably got about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes of Moon Knight. And don't quote me on that. I, I didn't do the math, but that's that's what it feels like. And, you know, I understand people will counter and say, well, they, they had to develop, you know, Stephen Grant. They had to develop Mark Spector. I get that, but there comes a point where you, you, you got to have fucking Moon Knight the show was called Moon Knight and I feel they just went way too far like they did more than enough to let us know and develop that character so I guess that's a, that's a thumbs up for them but it came at the cost of having little to no Moon Knight and the show's called Moon Knight and there was barely any Moon Knight so my hopes are if this show gets a second season which it does look like it is that we can finally get like a Moon Knight show. We've established a character. We know who Stephen Grant is. We know who Mark Spector is. We we get it now. <laughs> um, show us more Moon Knight in season two. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my number four. Number three, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This is the one Disney Plus show that has moved up and down my rank all the time. But I I think I'm comfortable saying that it's my number three. When I first watched it, you know, I thought. It was it was good, you know. It, it wasn't bad, but it was it was all right. <laughs> is 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 the best way I can put it. When I first watched it, uh, let me address the positives. Anthony Mackie, I think he he had such an interesting arc in the show. We saw in Endgame that he accepted the shield and he accepted the mantle of Captain America, and I, I think retrospectively, after getting Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it almost seems like he just took it in that moment to to not be uh, offensive and, 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 and not ruin that moment between him and Steve Rogers because we see in the beginning 
of Falcon and Winter Soldier. He's clearly had time to think about it, and he ultimately decides in the beginning that this is not for me. I don't want to carry this mantle that will and always will be Steve Rogers. And then his journey and his arc throughout the show, and it's not done. They're going to continue it in Captain America New World Order. But his arc is him trying to come to terms with with, with the fact that he, he can be Captain America. He is Captain America. He is capable of, of holding that mantle and he can do some good with it and... I, I actually was a fan of the finale. I know a lot of people said his speech at the end was, was corny. I actually found it pretty pretty uh, pretty good, and just for me personally. And I also like Bucky's arc. I think I wish they would have explored his arc a little bit more. I liked in the beginning how we see him trying to readjust to society. He's almost like he's almost still trying to come to grips with the fact that he's been pardoned of everything. He almost looks like he he doesn't feel like he should be. Uh, a citizen because he just he understands that after all the things that have happened to him obviously it wasn't him he was brainwashed but it seems like he's trying to come to grips with reality and he's having uh uh, uh he's having sessions with a therapist i wish they would have explored that a little bit more uh and then they introduced john walker and then you know th- th- there's so, there's a lot of good things about this show uh, and now it, we know that it sets up multiple things. It sets up New World Order. It sets up Thunderbolts. And, and I did like the John Walker character. Uh, and I like the actor, too. That's Kurt Russell's son, I think. Wyatt Russell. And there's a, he does a couple episodes. He, he either did one or two episodes of Black Mirror. And those were pretty good episodes. So check those out. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me that pulled me out was the antagonist and the villain i thought this was probably the most forgettable and most just boring villain that the mcu has ever had even more than malekith in my opinion that that's just how i feel so i think the villain is probably the thing whatever they called the the uh the flag smashers i think they were called they're essentially their their motive is to get life to the way it was during the five-year blip or something like that but wasn't a big fan um, but overall, a solid show, and that's why it's my third place, and I actually really like it. And over time, I've enjoyed it even more, especially re-watching some of the episodes. I'd, I'd say my favorite episode is, I'd say, probably the first two and the six, in my opinion. And, 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 you know, I like the other episodes, but as I mentioned, it goes back to the villain and the antagonist. So number two is WandaVision. WandaVision was the beginning to all the Disney Plus shows. It was the first one that we got. And I think it had a pretty underwhelming finale. But every episode leading up to it, I really enjoyed. Especially like the first five. The first five episodes, it was just entry. We wanted to know what was happening. There was always clues. There was always there was always some kind of underlying mystery. We wanted to know like what's going on with Westview. How did Westview get started? Is this the real vision that we're used to? You know, and then we meet Sword and like it's I loved it. Um now we're going to move on to the number 1. The number 1. That is Loki. Loki to me is head and shoulders, not even close. I think Loki is by far the best Disney Plus show Marvel has put out uh, yet. And and uh, I don't even know if Loki Season 2 will be better than Season 1. That's how that's how much I love this. Now, it could. It could, especially if you get more Kang. But, yeah, it just it took Loki, a character that was just 
to me, I, I never really thought about him so much because he, he was just really like the mustache twirling villain that we all kind of knew, like a very cliche villain. And they explored this character. They added more depths to this character. And by the end of it, he became a sensitive, empathetic, you know, revived anti-hero, I guess. Like, he, he, he he's not the same person that we meet because you got to keep in mind, this is the Loki from the first Avengers. So this is like prime evil Loki because throughout the other films, he, you know, there was glimpses of him maybe having a soft spot and maybe being a little bit more empathetic. But like, this is prime like i want to commit genocide loki that's the version of loki that we were introduced to so the fact that we we begin with him there to where we see him in the end and i i still think my favorite moment in the entire show is episode one when agent mobius who agent mobius i love by the way that character for those of you who don't know it's been reported by all the trusted trades that he will in fact be a supporting character in deadpool 3 and he's going to have uh, quote, a big role. So that means we're getting more TVA. I, I can't wait. I'm so excited for that, but not to get off track here. Uh, yeah, but he's going to be in Deadpool 3. But when Agent Mobius and Loki have that sit down, have that first conversation with each other, and it was very like, it was a very deep conversation and, and, and it made Loki kind of think about himself and think about and have this existential conversation of like, has my existence been nothing but inconsequential and I've never, never won in life. I've never succeeded. I've never found love. I've never, you know, come, come to grips with myself. And it was a very like introspective conversation that they had. And I love that. Um, and then of course I think it had the best finale. I know a lot of people said that that finale with Kang was just all exposition and it, there was nothing that actually happened, and I I disagree personally. I, I loved it. I was all for it. I could have gone for another hour of that, even more. Um, so, yeah. Loki, huge fan. Can't wait for season two. I think it's head and shoulders above all the other Disney Plus shows. So, that's that. Those are my rankings for phase four. Now, let's talk about phase four as a whole and what it needed to do. And I think personally why I feel very different about a lot of people on it itself. Now, let's go back to Endgame. Let's go back to Phase 3. Infinity War and Endgame were 10 years of storytelling coming to fruition. It's it's almost a miracle that we even got all that. Like, it truly is. Like, people don't understand. And I, I, I'm going to sound, you know, pretentious as if like I've worked in Hollywood. I obviously haven't, but I just know for a fact through my research that making movies is incredibly hard. Even from my little experience, when I made my short film recently, that was such a difficult, challenging experience, yet so rewarding. So the fact that these short films and and, and even these lower budget independent films are very challenging to make, oftentimes they just don't get made at all. Scripts will just sit on shelves in, in, in studios, think about making a blockbuster, like an action movie, all the resources, all the time and everything that goes into them. It, it it's, that's, that's why I'm saying it's a miracle that we've gotten this far with Marvel. Okay. So that's number one. And, 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 and as I said, that was 10 years of buildup and storytelling coming together. I knew that once that wrapped up, Marvel was going to have to rebuild. Like, I don't know what people expected. Did people expect to get Secret Wars and within two years of Endgame coming out? 
people would 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 it, it'd be too much. People wouldn't even like that. They they would say, "Oh, we need to take her time." Like the fan base is so hypocritical sometimes. Like people would if that happened, people would be like, "Oh, we need to take her time. We need to get another three phases and so on and so forth." Like I knew personally that phase four was going to, for lack of a better term, be a step down from where Marvel was at. And I say a step down, I really what I mean is that it's not going to be the grand spectacle of phase three because phase three was every movie was that much closer to infinity war and Endgame, civil war black panther all these movies were were inching closer and closer to Endgame. we were that close we knew what we were about to get on the horizon and they were these films were were nearing the end of that saga so that everything was getting set up everything was getting teased we were getting all these different references to thanos and like i knew that once that saga concluded where do we go? We need to take our time. We need to introduce new characters because we lost old characters. So then we need to introduce them, introduce their worlds. And then not only that, phase four was inevitably going to deal with the aftermath of Endgame. So it had a lot of things to juggle, not even to mention the, the pandemic, Chadwick Boseman passing. So all these different, you know, external things that, that, that kind of shook things apart. And I'm not trying to say that as if like, you know, we should be mad that Chadwick Boseman passed away. Absolutely not. It's it's the terrible. It's tragic. But the pandemic is really the one that kind of fucked things up. You know what I mean? Because theaters got shut down. It screwed up the releases. It even changed a lot of the Marvel content. Apparently, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was, was something completely different. Apparently, it was a show that dealt with something similar to a global pandemic. But because the real pandemic happened, I, I guess they felt it was a little insensitive and I get it uh so it shook things up and the fact that phase four turned out to in my opinion still be a pretty good phase for for what it's worth I think you once again got to give your hats off to Marvel I I I didn't expect to have anything like Endgame and I don't I certainly didn't expect to get an Avengers film in this saga so I don't know I hear people say it's like you know Marvel's Marvel's uh, fallen, they've hit their peak. I think they've hit a peak, but I think they'll hit another peak. And again, it just takes time. People have to remember that took a decade of storytelling coming together, everything falling in place. A lot of people take that for granted. So when we inevitably get to the Kang dynasty and secret wars in, in 2025 and 2026, which if you really think about it, that is not far away at all. When we got the announcement that we're getting two Avengers films in 2025, I know they've since delayed Secret Wars, but I, I was even kind of like, wow, that's 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 soon. That that is not far away. I did not expect to to get Secret Wars until like maybe 2028, maybe 2029. But because that they now have Disney Plus and there's more content coming out in each year and each phase, I guess it kind of makes sense. So even by the time we get there, it, it will still be like seven six to seven years of storytelling wrapping up but my point is is like these things take time and if you really break down this phase there was a lot of good stuff not everything was a hit you know what i mean like but even if you look back to phase two and phase one there were some misses in there at least in my opinion not like not every like not everything was 
was was Civil War. Not everything was Black Panther or Infinity War or Endgame or Iron Man. Like there was some Thor: The Dark Worlds. There were some Captain Marvels. And these are just my opinions, obviously. There were some Ant Man and the Wasp. Like that Iron Man three. Like we 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 all know that. But the biggest thing is that Marvel, in my opinion, has just even those films that I just named, those aren't bad films. That's the thing. Marvel has maintained consistency across over 10 years now. Even with this phase, I, you know, I, I talked, I was pretty harsh earlier compared to how I normally am for shows like Miss Marvel and She-Hulk. But I have to recognize that those shows have a, have a very committed fan base and a lot of people love those shows. So I have to recognize that. It just It's just a testament to the consistency of Marvel. And I think this phase had a lot to do, had a lot of characters to introduce, and it had a lot of things to deal with because of the aftermath of Endgame. And I, I personally think they did a really good job. Is it the best phase? Absolutely not. Uh, I, I'm not even going to sit here and talk about which phase is better because technically speaking, yeah, I guess you could say this is maybe the, I don't know, worst phase, but... Even then, like, I don't even know if I could say that. It's 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 a really tough conversation to have because I think, like, like I said, with every phase, there are highlights and there are things that aren't as well received. You know what I mean? And I know you're probably listening to this thing, and I'm just a Marvel fanboy. You know, fucking hell, I am. I I'll say right here, I do not care. I am a fucking nerd when it comes to this shit, and I I will stand and die on that hill. I I don't care. I love movies, not just Marvel movies. I love this shit. Um, and I'm passionate about it. So, yeah. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. If you think this is the worst phase, if you think Mar- Marvel has fallen off the map, all power to you. And I respect it. Um, this is just my point of view. So, anyways, guys, I think that's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you stuck around for this long, uh, really appreciate it if you could like the podcast subscribe to it keep on notifications so you're notified every time i upload a new episode i usually try to aim to upload one episode a week uh but sometimes life gets in the way but uh yeah all right guys i will catch you on the next podcast that one will most likely be on camera and audio only uh but because of the little bit of a shape shake up this week for my schedule uh today's episode had to be audio only so i'll see you guys on the next one have a good night